Today, we are all about optimizing gut health on the Low Tox Life podcast. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 321 and I have one of my favorite past guests back, Dr. Vincent Pedre, to talk about gut health. Uh, he has a new book called The Gut Smart Protocol, but by no means is this a big giant book sell. There are so many fantastic bits of gold in our conversation today. And interestingly enough, this is show 321. The last time Vincent was on the show was show 123. I don't know if you guys like a bit of woo-woo, but I do, and I think that's pretty cool. So if you haven't listened to that past show I did with Vincent, It Has Aged Beautifully is completely relevant and uh, talks about a whole gamut of other things than we discuss today. So the two shows, uh, as a bit of a personal gut focus you might like to have this week, would make a lot of sense. Uh, Vincent is the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness over in New York City and has been practicing as a functional medicine certified practitioner since 2004. Uh, and he truly believes, and the science shows us, that the gut is the gateway to excellent health. So today we're discussing what that looks like and how we can bio-individualize. I really grilled him on this because so often you hear the word protocol and then there's this one way to do things and then it only works for like the guru who's selling it and you're there quietly ashamed of your failure in uh, not having this protocol work for you. So we actually discuss uh, how you how he created a quiz to help you see how you can bio-individualize where you start your gut health journey. Uh, and uh, I think anyone who's had histamine issues and has felt the damaging effects of too many fermented foods, if you are in a high histamine state uh, or a mast cell activation flare-up, we'll know that not, not everything is for not, what am I trying to say? One size doesn't fit all. I'm terrible with expressions. Uh, and, uh, and so today's show is really, really going to be so beneficial for all of us, uh, wherever we are at with our gut health, whether you're even just wanting to tweak and optimize and get a few tips there. So I'm going to hook into that conversation in just a little minute, and you can actually get a free chapter of Vincent's book, uh, so you can get a little taster. And if you wanted to do that, you can go to gutsmartprotocol.com forward slash gift. And that way you can check it out before you may consider grabbing a copy. So of course, this show isn't possible without our wonderful sponsors. And I want to give a shout out to our sponsor who's joining us this month. BioFirst is back. You guys are loving this wonderful small family Australian business and their formulations. And I just love getting such positive feedback, uh, for, from you guys about what's working and what products you're enjoying. I love to make our sponsorships highly aligned, 
and also all about making you make low-tox swaps and explorations a little easier on the pocket. And so today, and for the whole rest of this month's worth of shows, you will hear me talk about the skin, ultra-sensitive skin rescue lotion that they have just released. So the reason they've formulated this is because their community of customers was saying we need something even more powerful for my sensitive skin, for my eczema, my rosacea, uh, my being prone to reactions and allergies, so hives coming up on the skin. And so uh, Dr. Jude uh, got busy and formulated this fantastic product. It is so good. I had a histamine reaction uh, when I was doing a little bit of uh, gardening in my dad's garden uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I had received an advanced uh, little pump bottle of it. And so I applied it. I can't tell you how quickly it was gone. I always seem to get little random things from plants I probably shouldn't be touching probably need to know more about plants. But anyway, that's a whole separate story. And uh, I can honestly say it just dissipated so fast, faster than if I was to have taken an antihistamine, which of course isn't great for your gut in the long term. So we don't want to reach out for those every time we have a little bit of a hivey vibe. And, uh, and then of course, there are some incredible reviews that I will be sharing with you over the month, uh, from people who have tried the product and shared their views on their website. You can also, of course, head to BioFirst's website and check those out yourself ahead of time. Uh, but the beauty of this is it can be used from the newborn stage and up. Uh, and we all know how many little rashes and things can pop up in newborns. And of course you want to check out and eliminate any bad things. But aside from that, uh, you can uh, definitely reach for this product. It's completely safe for your little bub as well as all of us. So if you are prone to eczema, rosacea, product reactions and allergies, uh, I would absolutely recommend you give this a go. You can use it daily or in obvious cases of distress up to three, four times a day. And, uh, and it's super powerful. So I can say that it has been dermatologically tested for sensitive skin. It's hypoallergenic and it supports the skin barrier function, sort of acting as a bit of a cocoon as well as being really moisturizing. So for those of us who are super sensitive and feel like you can't even use a moisturizer, then maybe this could be something you'd use uh, in that function to also, of course, protect your skin. So the offer is amazing. It's if you buy one, you get 25% off uh, with the code LTL25. Or if you buy two or more, you actually get 40% off. So that code is LTL40. So what you might want to do is if you don't want to buy uh, more than two now is you could get one with your 25% offer now. If you're listening at the start of the month of March uh, with the LTL25 code, try it for a week, love it, and then make the most of the LTL40 code to stock up. Uh, great gifts for friends with little kids that you know have allergies or your bestie who might have rosacea or eczema. It is absolutely one worth trying. So that's a great offer from the team at BioFirst that you have for the whole of March 2023. 
Uh, and also, of course, our major sponsor, Oz Climate, giving us 10% off their already discounted prices for the dehumidifiers and Winix air purifiers with the code LOWTOXLIFE. So head to ozclimate.com.au, check out the range. If you need a big unit, a small unit, either way, 10% goes a long way when we're talking appliances. And I've actually got my hygrometer, uh, my Thermo Pro hygrometer. A lot of people ask me what brand I used recently. It's really inexpensive, under $20. Uh, I picked it up online for uh, just always telling me what the humidity levels is. And I noticed this morning the humidity level got up to 70%. So what did I do? I switched on my dehumidifier uh, and made sure that we could bring that back down to under 60% humidity so that we discourage the growth of mold in our indoor environments. Perfect for if you've got a shady part of the house that tends to stay damp if it's been a bit rainy or if you are going through February on the east coast of Australia, like many of us are. So make the most of those wonderful offers from our supporting partners. Thank you so much for helping me put on this show every week and for giving our wonderful community of listeners some great offers. Uh, and I will say that that BioFirst offer is actually available for our US listeners as well which I love being able to offer you guys something too. So let's hook into this chat with Vincent about gut health and what a gut smart protocol might look for you. Enjoy. Hello, Vincent. How are you doing? I'm so great. I can't believe that it's been about five years since I was on your <laughs> yes. podcast. It really and has. It's, uh, you know, the world has been through quite a series of changes over this time. And I'm so excited to be invited back and, and talk about my new book that's coming out and maybe just dive deep into the gut conversation. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. And I, I was listening back on our first show, which was sort of your own health journey and how you became interested in, in gut health and then um, how things are playing out out there. And we really focused in on bacteria and uh, and that side of things. But today I want to take the lens a little bit further back. So we're looking bird's eye and give people to start with an idea of the range of symptoms, illnesses they might have been diagnosed with, challenges they might be experiencing in their health and how the gut is implicated in all of them. So we're going to kind of rapid fire through a whole bunch of different things where people might go, you're kidding, that's linked to the gut. And then we're going to talk solutions, some of the really basic um, and super powerful ways that we can all improve our gut health today because, heck, most of us need to, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, to to step out and, and take kind of just like a... A really big view, I want to use the analogy of a tree. And imagine imagine as if a tree is our, our body. If, if our bodies were a tree, the root system of the tree would be our digestive system. So in a sense, our digestive system are like the roots of our body. And anybody who is a horticologist who knows about illnesses in plants and trees, if if you start seeing the leaves look unhealthy, so again, you're, you're looking on the surface, they're not going to 
diagnose the, the cause of the problem by looking at the leaf closely, they're actually going to look at the root system of the tree to treat what is being shown at the surface. And we understand this about trees, but for some reason, we somehow, for hundreds of years, have not fully integrated this into our knowledge of how to care for our health. You know, there have been periods in history, you know, 100 years ago in the US, naturopathic medicine was more predominant. And, you know, we really did pay attention to the importance of gut health. And then at some point, medicine took this whole turn and became pharmaceutical driven, and it became all about painting the leaves green. And basically, the analogy is treating symptoms, the outside, but forgetting to focus on what's going on in the inside, because if those roots are rotting, it doesn't matter how green you paint those leaves, the mm. tree is still going to be sickly. Yeah. So Gosh, the... it makes me think of cortisone cream for eczema, for example, as like a, an example of that. Yeah. And, and where does eczema come from? You know, so that's one example of a system that is affected by the gut. And I call these in my book, gut related symptoms versus gut centric symptoms and gut centric are like what people know, constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, bloating, gas, discomfort. You know, if you have a gut centric symptom, right? But the, the truth is that the majority of people in the world are walking around with gut related health issues that may or may not have gut centric symptoms because you don't have to have something blatantly going on in your gut that you know of, that you're aware of because you're having symptoms to have an issue in your body that is actually being caused by your gut. And, and a lot of times people aren't um, aware, like interestingly, I just had a patient who on a blood test had high eosinophils. Eosinophils is a type of white blood cell that shows up, like increases when we're reacting to allergens in the environment, potentially, or when, and it could be allergens, it could be mold in the house, you know, there's so many things that we could be reacting to, but his numbers were really high. The other thing is an internal parasite. Now he had no symptoms. So in other words, he, he had some low-grade allergy symptoms, but he had no gut symptoms. And when I ask him, do you have any constipation, diarrhea? No, nothing, no gut symptoms. But I said, you know, your eosinophils are really high. That's unusual. There's signs of inflammation in your body. So let's just be complete and look at your gut. We did a stool test and he has entamoeba histolytica. So he has a parasitic infection. It's causing a rise in inflammatory markers. It's causing a rise in secretory IgA and immunoglobulin that gets secreted into the gut. And it's causing low-grade background inflammation in his body that becomes the generator of all chronic degenerative disease. So when we're, when we're looking at this, when we're looking at the gut as the root system of the body, Another thing that people need to understand is the gut is also, because of its surface area and because of its intimate relationship with the immune system, where 80% of our immune system lives all along the gut lining, 
that the gut is also potentially the biggest source for inflammation in the body. It is where the fire starts and then it spreads throughout the house of your body. But the gut there is sitting, it's the foundation for your health. So if we're going to put out fires in your house, we need to go to the source and that's usually the gut. So we have gut skin connection. We have the gut lung, the gut respiratory connection. And there's a sp and and when we think about the the microbiome, there's specialized microbiomes in all parts of the body. You know, everybody's probably hearing this word microbiome, microbiome, microbiome. Like when my first book came out at the end of 2015, microbiome was barely a word in the vernacular. Like people didn't even really know what it meant. Now, when you hear microbiome, you're probably thinking gut, but there are many microbiomes in the body. There's microbiome on your skin. Actually, if you look at your, your hands and you can see the creases in your hands and you see how there's space between those creases, the space between the creases is almost like a desert. And if you go into the crease, that's where the microbiome lives in those creases. So there's not as much on the skin. There's microbiome inside your nose, inside your mouth, inside our airways, inside the gut is the biggest reservoir, especially the large intestine, hundred trillion potential microorganisms in there, but also in the vaginal canal, a very important microbiome that plays <clears throat> a very significant role in the colonization of the microbiome of the baby when it's born and, and goes through the vaginal canal. So there are many important microbiomes, but when we're talking about microbiome, generally we're thinking about the gut microbiome because that affects so many other systems in the body. And we're talking about skin, gut airway connection, gut brain, like functionally, but gut mental health, depression, anxiety, tied to the type of bacteria that live in your gut. And there actually was a study that just came out that showed that there were certain associations of certain types of organisms seemed to predominate in people who had depression versus ones who don't. And the same thing with anxiety. We're starting to see these associations that suggest that perhaps treating the brain should actually start down here in the gut. And like you mentioned, the skin rashes like eczema, psoriasis, hives, all of these can be rooted in gut health and leaky gut. So as people listen to this, they might be thinking, wait a second, like I have a skin rash. I, I went to my dermatologist. He gave me a cream for that. Or I've had several sinus infections this year and they keep giving me antibiotics. Well, every time you take an antibiotic, it's affecting your, your reservoir of good bacteria in your gut, which is then making you more prone to getting more infections. So you get in this vicious cycle of infections. And there's also a connection between the gut and autoimmunity as, and the gut theoretically becomes the driver for autoimmunity in the body because when you get leaky gut, which is another term I'm sure people have heard and, and you've probably talked about, uh, but when you get leaky gut, you basically are opening the floodgates of inflammation into the body. And as a result, 
if your body is under a constant state of inflammation and getting exposed to all sorts of immune triggers, including partially digested foods that should not get through proteins from foods that we shouldn't react to, eventually that can dysregulate the immune response and cause autoimmunity because of potential molecular mimicry and other reasons that come up. And, and so the gut becomes the driver of a lot of disease through the mechanism of inflammation and triggering immune responses that then get, you know, once your, your gut immune system is under alert, it's sending alert signals all over your body. Mm -hmm. That's it. And this used to, this happened to me when I was a child and I was put on antibiotic after antibiotic as a teenager for respiratory infection, lung infection, throat infection, probably a lot of things that didn't need antibiotics because they were probably caused by viruses and the antibiotics kept weakening my immune system and I just kept getting sick over and over and over until I was able to break that vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And Vincent, you mentioned uh, nasal antibiotic for sinus infection, which is kind of seen as, uh, well, I wouldn't say um, benign, but it's seen as like it's happening up here. So I'm not thinking of my gut when I'm treating this or the skin cream. And I want to talk about a couple of other medications that seem benign, that seem super helpful, over the counter, anyone can grab them. Uh, and yet, the implication in then furthering gut issues, which then furthers immune weakening, which then furthers the potential for things to come up. I'm thinking of antihistamines and I'm thinking of just everyday regular painkillers. Yeah, like ibuprofen um, or yeah. what we call NSAIDs. They, um, you know, everybody probably knows. And if you read the warning label, it says don't take for more than two weeks without um, consulting with your doctor. And actually this happened to my sister. She was taking ibuprofen for pain relief. And um, she was taking, she didn't tell me about this, but she was taking it every day. Oh, wow. Pretty, pretty high doses. And she ended up starting to have stomach pains and she got an ulcer from taking. So ibuprofen can cause ulcers. Any NSAIDs could cause an ulcer. But more significantly, it increases intestinal permeability. And when you do that, you get leaky gut. And again, it's the floodgate. Once, once that gut is more permeable, we know we have tested this and you can detect bacterial DNA and even bacteria in the bloodstream of people with leaky gut. And once you've got bacteria and bacterial DNA in the bloodstream, you've got increase in inflammation. And again, for everybody listening to this, what you need to understand is this concept of inflammation. Inflammation is a major driving force for aging, but it's also the driving force for every chronic degenerative disease on the planet. So if you want to prevent chronic degenerative disease, if you want to reverse, if you have a chronic degenerative disease and you want to reverse it, then you've got to reverse all the potential places where inflammation is coming into your body and the place to heal, just like when we're looking at the tree and we're looking at the leaves and the leaves aren't looking healthy, we're gonna go and treat the roots and make sure the roots are healthy, make sure the tree's getting the right minerals, the right 
soil, um, that the soil microbiome is balanced, and that's going to help create a robust and healthy tree. Um, this was a great um, analogy that once um, Maria Rodale, who is the granddaughter of the... the oh, I know Maria. Um, She's a friend. Yeah. She, she is the granddaughter of the founder of the organic movement in the United States. And I thought this was really fascinating when she said that, that the earth, the soil is like the guts of the earth. And the soil has a microbiome that is just as important as our gut microbiome. So if you start thinking of your gut as a garden, and if you're tending to a garden, you've got to de-weed it, you've got to give it the right nutrients, you don't want to fill it with toxins, with pesticides. You want to care for that garden um, because if it's going to create food that you eat, you want to make sure that that food is non-toxic as possible, right? And as healthy and nutrient dense as possible. And we know that organic, um, organic growing techniques actually result in plants that are more resilient, are higher in antioxidants and are higher in nutrients than their pesticide-ridden counterparts. And that plays a really significant role because um, that's part of what I talk about in my book is that you can't think that you're living isolated and that your health issues are just inside this bubble of who you are because we're affected by our environment and how vegetables are being raised and what's happening outside of us, it's gonna affect what's happening inside as well yeah and you know i i'm thinking of um uh dr carson who what 1969 silent spring came out and her famous quote which was if we're going to be intimate with these chemicals in the environment that end up in us we better know what they do <laughs> and the full extent of the, uh, the, the ramifications. That there are... So that's 1969, Vincent, and, and, and no and one honestly, listening to her. We're we're not that far ahead in 2023 because there's probably 70 to 80,000 chemicals in circulation and less than 10% of those have been tested for human toxicity. So we're it's basically a big gamble, but um, something that I feel really passionate about because when I was researching this book, I had the privilege of traveling to Africa and staying with the Hadza, the hunter, the, oh, yeah. hunter gatherers on the planet. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I was really, really excited when the opportunity came up is because I had already read studies about the Hadza. There's no heart disease, no diabetes, no cancer, no obesity. And they're quite healthy. But the other thing that someone, became curious and decided, let me check their poop and look at their gut microbiome. And their gut microbiome is quite diverse, probably for several reasons, one of which they haven't been exposed to antibiotics. Two, they eat way more fiber than the their Western counterparts. And three, they get out and they get dirty and they get exposed to nature, which is one of the best microbiome amplifiers that we have. And for anybody who's listening, you're wondering, well, why am I saying like get dirty, like get more microbes? Well, the thing is that 
this is another key word I want people to take from this podcast, diversity. So you want microbial diversity. What does that mean? It means that we have a variety of organisms in the gut. And guess what? Even bad organisms play some sort of role that I think we haven't fully understood in the the, the balance of this ecosystem because there's about 10 to 15% quote unquote bad organisms, but they don't play bad when they're counterbalanced by all these other good bacteria. The problem is, is when we go in and we kill those bacteria through antibiotics, pesticides, taking in over-the-counter remedies, seemingly one that is safe and everybody uses for fevers, for when you have a cold, acetaminophen, also known as paracetamol. And there was a study that came out. It doesn't increase intestinal permeability directly, but it causes alterations in the gut microbiome, causing overgrowth of bad bacteria that then lead to leaky gut. So you can have different pathways to leaky gut. And when I saw that, I was really surprised because we always think like, okay, ibuprofen, NSAIDs, you gotta be careful, can cause ulcers, can damage the gut. We had learned this, we knew this for a while, then we learned that these, these also cause leaky gut. Um, but we always learn acetaminophen, you know, is safe for the gut other than you have to be careful at certain dosing and it can cause liver damage. Um, but it was really surprising to me to learn that as benign as it is and how many parents give their kids paracetamol or acetaminophen when they have a fever, how many people take it for arthritic pain, for fever, and they're not realizing that it's actually causing alteration in the gut microbiome that are gonna increase gut permeability and they're gonna, and as a result, it becomes this domino cascade. It's going to increase inflammation in the body. And, it, and you see, it's a pattern that repeats itself. So someone who's listening to this podcast, I hope they're starting to understand how the dominoes line up. You know, we start with a healthy gut microbiome and as it takes hits over our life, you start tipping that domino. The next domino that tips is gut permeability. And when leaky gut tips, then the next one that tips is inflammation. Inflammation goes up. And then the next one that tips is you start getting insulin resistance. You start putting on more weight in the middle. You start packing up, packing in fat in the belly. You start gaining weight. That then is a feed forward system that increases more inflammation in the body, scrambles your insulin. And before you know it, you're middle-aged, you're overweight, your blood sugar is borderline, you're not feeling so great, your brain is foggy, you're tired, your hormones are imbalanced. By the way, I didn't mention that the gut hormone connection, also really important, and the gut metabolism connection and the way it, it helps regulate our body weight. So people who are listening to this and realizing, wait a second, I'm, I've got some extra fat in my belly, I've got some metabolism issues. Um, I've got some mental fog, like I don't feel so great by the end of the day, or depending on what I eat for lunch, again, all tied back to the gut. Mm. Wow. And a lot of people are thinking, crap, I, I mean, I know I had chronic migraines, which in the end were completely linked to my love of perfumes as a teenager and then my early career in luxury cosmetics. I was surrounded by it in the department stores and, and visiting all the stores once I was in management and training and wearing all that stuff. 
uh, because I left cosmetics and the migraines left me too. But during that time, I can't tell you how many over-the-counter, mainly paracetamol-based uh, painkillers I took, aspirin as well, actually. And and so many people there would be saying, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I, I thought it was totally safe to give my, you know, little Emma, my little girl, like a Panadol when she was whingy or whiny or I couldn't figure out what was wrong with her or maybe she was a little bit feverish. So many of us have Panadol, uh, paracetamol stories um, and NSAID stories if you're thinking about pain and chronic pain. Is the way to heal the body from these uh, repeat exposures and uses of these over-the-counter drugs and let's bring... Uh, antihistamine long-term use and uh, antibiotic long-term use as well, is it about healing the gut? Like in doing that, do we then undo some of that uh, bad work? Absolutely. Now, yeah. can we go back to point zero? Can we go back yes. to that gut that the, the Hadza people have? Maybe not, especially if you've been on rounds of antibiotics but you can improve your health significantly. And, and honestly, for anybody who's listening, who is a parent or gonna become a parent, has little kids at home, the best thing you can do is try to avoid exposing them to antibiotics for as long as possible, especially during the education of the, of the gut microbiome as they're in the first couple of years of life. Now, if an antibiotic is needed, antibiotics, you know, for everyone who's listening, can be life-saving when used judiciously. The problem is, is that worldwide antibiotics are either overprescribed or in parts of the world they're available over the counter. So you can just go and self-help without even knowing, do you really need an antibiotic or not? And get an antibiotic directly from the pharmacy. So overall, we're taking too many antibiotics. And if there's anything that parents can do is try to raise their children without having to treat them with antibiotics. I mean, um, a couple of years ago, they realized that the recommendations for treating ear infections with antibiotics in, in children and infants were wrong and that you actually didn't need antibiotics for the majority of those cases. And yet for decades, that was the practice. And that's what pediatricians did. Partly, I think, because Western medicine has this approach of you know, you want your patient to walk out the door feeling like you did something for them. And if all you did was hold their hands and tell them this is going to get better, but there's nothing to do, there's no remedy. You know, sometimes people felt wrong. <laughs> the, I didn't get my money's worth. They didn't, I didn't get, give me a yeah, solution. I didn't, yeah. I didn't get my money's worth. You know, the, the great thing about um, me starting as a Western doctor and understanding all of that and then training in functional medicine is that if a person came in with a viral infection, um, they would still walk out the door with advice on supplements and things that can boost their immunity, can help support them from a different direction that's not gonna damage their gut microbiome and still help them overcome whatever the illness is. But if there's anything we can do is try to avoid unnecessary antibiotics, that's one of the important things and and ask questions you know it's not like the, the burden of the choice is not on you but you as the patient are your own best advocate and it's okay to ask the doctor like do i really need this 
you know, challenge, challenge the doctor. Like, do I, do I really need this? Or do you think this is going to get better without the antibiotic? Could we maybe wait a couple of days to see how I feel? Yeah. I, I, I now, every time I've been to the doctor with my son, we always ask for a swab test first. Like, let's see if this is actually bacterial in the first place. And it has meant he's only needed antibiotics, I think, once in the last, well, in the last eight years, I think. Um, and and that's kind of a comfortable level for me. I would not want to go that's, more than that unless it's life-saving. That's, that's such a big win. Mm. You know, that's that's a huge win. And, and I have a son. He's now 18 years old. And he went to the pediatrician once a year for his annual checkup. But other than that, if he was sick, he didn't go to the pediatrician. We didn't do antibiotics. And the first time he needed antibiotics was when he was seven, when it was clear that he had an infection that just wouldn't respond to anything else. Um, but I feel proud that I was able to keep him free of antibiotics for seven years. Mm. And for anyone listening who hasn't been able to or who's waking up just now to the fact that this is really something we want to pull right back again. Which is a big part of the world. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I think of me and chronic tonsillitis and we don't want to talk about how many rounds of antibiotics I was on as a kid. But healing the gut is the answer. You can move forward with a different story, with a better story and if that gut gets healed, then chances are the infections come down anyway, which is great news. Well, the other thing is, is that when, when people go through a gut healing journey and they start making changes in their diet and things that can improve their gut health, what I think is often shocking and surprising to them is all the other things that get better that they didn't expect would get better. And sometimes even how people respond to them, because whether you realize it or not, we're picking up beyond our, our, our senses, even though the eyes are where we're perceiving the world, there's another sixth sense in the way we perceive people. And when people go through a gut healing program, a couple of weeks in, your friends will look at you and say, what are you doing? Something's, something's different. Like, did you get a haircut? Did you change your hair? Did um, Because you radiate differently when you're taking care of your root system. And you can absorb your nutrients better. Then it's going to be reflected on the outside of your body. And again, it's the same idea as like, if a tree's leaves are unhealthy, you don't paint them green. Like you can put makeup on if you want to look good, right? But then at the end of the day, you have to wipe off that makeup and you're still going to look the same that you did. But if you work from the inside out, then the inside is going to be reflected on the outside. And I think that's, I hope that's to me is, is one of the most important messages that I hope to get out uh, for people that read my book or find out about my book is realizing the the potential and power of the gut to be a healing vehicle for their entire body. So, so powerful. And I want to just mention a couple of the things that didn't come up in terms of links. Uh, we didn't really talk about autoimmune disease there or energy and metabolism. You you mentioned like the the happy side effects of, of sorting out the gut. Uh, uh, Things get better in all kinds of ways. So someone might have had a long-term autoimmune disease. 
someone might have been feeling lethargic or feel like they can't lose weight no matter what they do. I also want to, you know, comment to the fact that sometimes people might get frustrated because they make they make these positive changes and they they've heard about these dramatic results and then they're two weeks in and they're not feeling the results. And the way I want people to picture it is that every person is individual. So first of all, don't compare yourself to others. But if you think about your toxic burden or your inflammation burden, you know, and say, say this is here, the threshold below which the body starts to heal. If you start here, that's very different than if you start up here. You know, you might have a longer, so here you have autoimmunity. You might have a longer road to getting to that point where you've reduced the burden on the body enough that now your your autoimmune markers start to drop, your signs of autoimmune disease, whatever they may be, start to reverse. So um, what I want to say to people like that is results don't always come as fast as you want them to. But they do come with time, patience, and dedication. And sometimes you have to commit with full-hearted faith and understand that sometimes what I've seen is that it, it's very strange with the body because once you reach that that threshold, it's not like the results come in as this gradual. It's almost like suddenly you you get to that threshold and then your body does a quantum leap forward. And suddenly it can start to unravel and heal a bunch of things. So you maybe felt like you weren't getting anywhere. And a month in, let's say, or two months or even three months, suddenly there is a sudden shift. Your weight starts to drop. Wait a second. <laughs> Why is it <laughs> happening now? Yeah. It's because you finally reached that threshold and your body was able to lower inflammation enough so that now it can turn to healing itself. And that process is going to be different for different people. If you've been sick for 10 years, don't expect that you're going to like heal in two weeks. But do have faith and hope that it is possible if you dedicate yourself and you change your mindset and your lifestyle. And I know we we talk a lot about nutrition and diet. I also, um, I think it's very important to state and something that I, I try to get across to people that you can't out diet and you can't out supplement a stressed out lifestyle. So as a component of healing the gut, a very key and important component of it that I talk about in my book also, The Gut Smart Protocol, is mindset, mindfulness, breath work, meditation, reactivating that vagus nerve, getting into a parasympathetic state of rest and relaxation and assimilation so that your body can feel safe and be able to digest food, absorb nutrients, and start to heal itself. Because if you're in a constant state of fight or flight, your body cannot heal. Your body's not going to want to let go of weight. 
And it's actually partly because it's affecting your gut microbiome. So those stress chemicals, those stress hormones are actually causing alterations in your gut microbiome that then cause again, that domino effect. Remember those dominoes. So everything that affects the gut then reverses and affects the body, right? So even though that stress maybe is coming from the mind and the way that you think about things and the way you react to things, it's then affecting your gut. And it's actually like, um, I, I like to say that stress is like an attack on the gut. And it also increases gut permeability and causes leaky gut, which then increases inflammation. Mm -hmm. I can't agree more. I would have been on every gut protocol, supplement, everything for years, uh, not able to lose weight. And I actually just needed to move out of a water damaged building. It was causing so much stress on my system uh, that literally the minute we moved out of the mold and we healed that aspect and all the stress that comes with being so inflamed uh, and yeah. so sick, uh, then I call it, I like to call it biophysical stress. Yeah. You know, so, so people, put. some, Sometimes people come in and they say, you know, we go, we review their life and, and they say, well, I'm, I'm happy in my job. I'm not stressed, but they're running around. Maybe they are living in a toxic environment. They have meeting after meeting, then they have to rush home. Then the kids, this, that, and they're like, but I'm not stressed. I don't feel mentally stressed. I'm like, because you become numb to your stress up here, but your body, your body is screaming. It's saying, I am freaking out. It's taken like, notes. Yeah. And, and this is what I call biophysical stress to separate it from mental stress. I mean, we can be biophysically stressed even from exposure to electromagnetic forces, EMFs. Some people are super sensitive, some more than others. And if you are, then you're going to be really sensitive to things like being in front of the computer all day, like sitting underneath fluorescent lights all day in your office. You're going to leave at the end of your workday and you're going to feel exhausted and you don't know why you think it was the workday, but it's also the biophysical stress that your body is absorbing. And a lot of times that's going to affect many things. And like you said, for you, it wasn't letting you lose weight. And that again, goes to that analogy of there's a certain threshold below which the body starts to heal. But while your toxic burden is this high is above that threshold, you're not going to be able to lose weight. You're not going to feel better. Even if you're doing, you know, you've done diet and things and you've got your threshold down to here, but it's still above. It's not going to kick into that. Ah, now we can really heal. Yeah. You moved out of that mold, mold burdened house. You took away all that stress on your body and you dropped down to here. And then your body is able to go, ha, ah, like take a Now I can breath. focus on the business of getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it, a lot of it's about reducing, removing the obstacles to healing is a very important part of healing the body, including healing the gut, like removing yeah. inflammatory foods, for example. Yeah. Absolutely. And on that topic, people are more confused than ever about food, I feel, because with every new protocol that comes on the internet, every new expert that comes and tells us, no, it's actually this, 
I feel like we need to find peace with food and we need to stop externalizing <clears throat> and giving our power away and, and getting more in tune with what really works for us on a bio-individual level so, because so, it's so great different, you mentioned right? That. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was part- I know in your book you really allow for a self-exploration of, uh, of checking in and saying, you know, like, how's this working for you? Do you need to go more in this direction? Do you need to do more protein, less plants or vice versa for some people that's going to work? Um, but the the universal message of ditching the ultra processed food, I think, keeps falling by the wayside, like under all these fights of like meat versus beans. And it's like, hold on, can we just quit the chips? Like, <laughs> um, and, and some of those, you know, those vegan alternatives, you know, which have exploded, um, like you said, chips, things that are in the health food store as looking healthy, but they're not necessarily healthy for you. And I like that you bring that up. And that was one of my goals with this book, which is a very um, big task to undertake was to recognize that no two people are exactly the same. No two guts are the same. How can their diets be the same? There is no one size fits all. And because of that, I wanted to personalize the program and created a quiz that people take, the Gutsmart quiz. And with it, you find out if you're mild, moderate, or severe. But even within that, you know, and, and I have guidelines for how to eat in each of the categories and what you can eat and what you can't eat to take some of that food confusion out. But even with that, I'm still try to teach people the importance of intuition. And I divided it into three parts before meal intu- intuition, during meal intu- intuition and post meal intuition. And a lot of people are just living their lives completely mindlessly you're you're getting lunch during your work day and you're on your computer working as you're eating you're not really being conscious of chewing the food of how the food is being taken in how it's being assimilated how is it feeling in your belly but even starting to step back and asking yourself what does my body crave right now because that inner knowing is super smart maybe maybe your body is saying i need a green juice or maybe your body is saying i need some animal protein that's what i'm craving right now but listening learning to listen to that intuition and and then kind of developing that intuitive inner listening muscle to then use it to recognize as you're eating how is this sitting do i feel okay with this was this a good meal? Um, am I full? Should I keep eating? Should I stop eating? And then after the meal, do you suddenly feel tired? Do you feel foggy headed? Do you get um, achy? Do your sinuses get a bit swollen? Do you get congested? Well, all of these are signs. Your body is knocking on the door, speaking to you and telling you, this is how this food is affecting your body. But a lot of people go through life completely oblivious to these signals. And I think one of the most powerful things um, that I try to teach people is how to become their own body whispers. Like how do you listen to your body, listen to the cues, because there is no one on this planet that is a better expert on your body than yourself. But can I, can I ask, because 
I, I'm very curious about this. When we are inflamed, when we are in a leaky gut state, when we have an overgrowth of certain bacteria, maybe we have a candida picture as well, uh, intuitive can be like, just go get that ice cream, like eat it. That's what you are craving right now. That's what you I want. I like this. Yeah. Right? Um, so candida, like how candida do we can know? Take- when it can take over your brain. Yes, exactly. Right. So it takes over your brain and it makes you think that you need that sugar. <laughs> so but that I, would not be very good intuitive eating. But but <laughs> I will I will tell you though. So I I had this conversation with a patient yesterday, and she's a very healthy eater, but she told me, you know, lately she's just starting to kind of have that sweet tooth. And, and she says, but I already had a satisfying meal. I don't feel like I'm hungry. And yet my brain is saying I need sugar now. So I think there can still be a certain level of awareness of the difference between what is true hunger, you know, which is, which is hunger. That's going to be here 30 minutes from now, if you don't eat. Yeah. Got it. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas a craving is like this monster that takes <laughs> over you. Nicely And put. it just like yeah. has this crescendo. And in 20 minutes, you're going to be like a Tasmanian devil. Like if you don't get into the cookies or the ice cream, like you're going to chop somebody's head off. And yet, if you don't give into it, it's going to come back down. And at 30 minutes, your, your craving is going to pass. But I do agree with you that there are certain conditions where your brain is hijacked, especially with candida, where it's illogical. And that's where kind of like the, you know, those are the more macro recommendations. If you can even just cut your sugar intake by half, you're going to extend your lifespan and you're going to reduce your your um, risk for all chronic degenerative disease because sugar is one of the most inflammatory molecules on the planet. And we have a population study to prove this because in Cuba, which is where my family is from, during what they called the special period in the 90s, when the government asked people to sacrifice themselves because they lost the Russian subsidies somewhere in the mid 90s, the government reduced the allotment of sugar that each person could have. And because it's a communist system, they control it very well. You can't have more sugar than they allow you. And they had to drop, they had to subsidize, you know, they had to drop the the amount of sugar that everybody could eat. And so you weren't allowed as much sugar. Let's say it was dropped by a qu- to a quarter of what they were allowed. Wow, that's a well, positive government intervention. <laughs> well, well, it was it was done because they had basically lost their their subsidies and they were trying to save money. But they also keep really close track of health um, data. Coincidentally, during the special period, if you look at track the rates of heart disease, the rates of diabetes, the rates of obesity, the rates of metabolic syndrome, all of that dropped during that period. And when the period ended and they reintroduced, they were able to increase the allotment of sugar for each person. You can just watch all of these diseases come back. And it, and and you might say, okay, maybe this was a, you know, a one-off phenomenon in Cuba. The same thing happened in England during World War II, where they also restricted the amount of sugar 
that people could have because they were trying to control, I guess, control costs. Same thing happened in England during that period. So we know that sugar is one of the most inflammatory substances that across the board, we have to be really careful because if you walk into the health food store nowadays, you're going to look at and see a lot of things that are in packaging that looks really healthy and inviting, but it's going to have hidden sugars. A lot of times those health bars. Um, and are we talking when you say these health bars, powders. are you talking about the ones that have like 35% dates, that kind of stuff? It, or is it more maple syrup and honey? Or is it all the same to you? Cane sugar, cane sugar. Um, obviously, natural sugar is always best, especially if it's the whole fruit, because then you're getting the sugar with the fiber. But across the board, we know that consuming too much sugar is bad for us, whether it is in fruit form or not fruit form. But obviously, when it's stripped of the fiber and it's just cane sugar, it's coconut sugar, it's, um, I mean, even too much dried honey. Fruits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dried fruits. All these things are are problematic and they increase the likelihood that that you're going to alter your gut health you're going to increase the risk for candida for certain types of bacteria to overgrow and you're going to then increase the risk for all sorts of diseases in your body mm -hmm. and would this include therefore the group uh food group of grains because absolutely the starches absolutely. turn into sugar in the body yeah so a piece of white toast is like eating four teaspoons of sugar. So that's something that people need to realize is that there are things that might not look like sugar, but they metabolize into sugar when they get into the body. So if you're wondering, okay, what, how should I eat? Well, eat as close to how the earth, mother nature made the food and try to eat not too far away from it, meaning not too over-processed, not too many ingredients, because the more processed things are, the more that the fiber has been removed from it, like a white wheat flour that has devoid of all of its fiber, then what you're getting is a disease-causing agent that you're taking in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think the, the ultra-processed food conversation needs to get way louder than people fighting over which whole foods are better than other whole foods. I mean, I like, mean we've what? translated, yeah. I mean, we've honestly transferred ultra processed foods into the health food aisle with gluten-free products because mm. now gluten-free is healthy, oh, right? Yeah. Mm. But you have all these gluten-free crackers, gluten-free products that are actually just another form of sugar as a carbohydrate that when you eat it, it's going to turn into starch into sugar without the fiber that's going to help control the influx of that sugar into your body. Mm. I always say I'm so grateful I had to go gluten-free. Uh, I have non-celiac gluten sensitivity um, and, it, and it was 20 years ago that a naturopath helped me see the link between that, the depletion of my immune system and chronic tonsillitis. And it was a game changer because I was getting tonsillitis 20, all the time. 20 years ago, right? There was no packaged gluten-free food. So no, I actually I mean, 20 had years ago, to cook. Yeah, mm. gl gluten-free meant you were going to buy vegetables. Exactly. And cook, yeah. cook at home. You weren't going to go and buy like a package of 
glutino crackers or whatever. no or gluten-free cheesy puffs i always say in my talks gluten-free cheesy puffs are still cheesy puffs <laughs> not healthy and i think it's a real um a, a real landing point for people when they realize uh because you know you're a stressed out mom who's got a kid with allergies and you just want to be able to fix it then and there so going gluten-free however you can is the first step. But I always say, as we've talked about, there's SOS. So it's like, fine. Okay. Switch everything to gluten-free for now. Just get the kid to not be in danger. And then day to day, the long game. And that takes longer. And before we hit record, you actually talked about one of your philosophies on change making and successful implementation uh, and I'm going to get you to just bring that right back into this session because it was so powerful. Uh, a lot of people find it really hard to make the changes we need to make for our gut health or for general health. But uh, there are some people who are the A-types who go on that protocol and they do all the things and then they make the rest of us feel ashamed and bad and like we're not good at this and we've failed they what can would scale you... that mountain in right? one day. Yeah, exactly. So what about most of us who are the non-mountain scalers? How do we feel good about change? You know, a, a book that had a big influence on me was a book called, called The One Thing. And it was basically about figuring out, you know, you start your day and you might have a whole bunch of to-do tasks. And then you decide what is the one task that is the most important out of these and that's the one I'm going to make sure that I do today. And so what I call it is stepwise activations. Because, and I like to think of it that way, almost like a superhero. Like you're, you're doing these activations that are, that are going to empower you. They're going to give you small wins. They're going to improve your health. And it could be as simple as I'm not eating enough fiber. So my first stepwise activation is to start increasing the serving size of vegetables with my meals so that I start hitting that daily fiber count that, that I need, that I know is going to help modulate my gut microbiome, improve my immunity. And, and that's all you do, even though, you know, like I've got to go gluten-free, maybe I've got to take dairy out, maybe I've got to do some other things, but approaching it from the point of view of stepwise activations that you conquer one at a time. So you can give yourself that little win, even if it's just like, hey, now I'm eating five servings of vegetables a day instead of two servings of vegetables per day and keeping the log of that, because then you're going to feel that positivity. Whereas if you try to do everything at once and then you realize you're overwhelmed, you're still too busy with work of mom or whatever it is, and you're juggling too many things and it's just going to all just fall apart. And then you're going to feel like a failure. Um, I think Think of those stepwise activations as the steps you're building to get to the top of that mountain, but you're doing it at your speed. You know, you're doing it in a way that you can handle. Sometimes it's easier to make smaller changes and feel proud about having made those changes, make them a new habit, and then bring in the other thing. I couldn't agree more. And so thinking about your book, uh, thinking about your practice, 
and all the conversations you've had with patients over the years, what floats to the top for you in considering what those first stepwise activations might be for somebody uh, in terms of biggest bang for buck, getting a run on the board, starting to feel better? Yeah, I mean, let's just go back to the sugar conversation and the processed foods. If you can cut out processed foods and sugar, if you can cut back on it significantly, that is a very powerful first stepwise activation. But let's even take a further step back. Maybe maybe your first stepwise activation, here's another power one, is cutting out gluten, is cutting out grains. But maybe for you, it's just so ingrained for the popcorn <laughs> yeah. your lifestyle that the thought of taking wheat out of your diet completely just feels blatantly Huge. overwhelming. Yeah. So your first stepwise activation could be that you're going to stop having bread at the table when you go out to eat. Mm, nice and you're one. just going to pass on that. And that's your first activation. And when you conquer that, you get like a little check mark. You give yourself a little <laughs> check mark. And then you can go. And then maybe next thing is you're going to start having gluten-free pasta at home instead of pasta with gluten. And that's your next stepwise activation. So you could even divide taking out a food group into steps rather than it being all at once. So that it feels less overwhelming. And again, it comes back to your own intuition. But starting with dairy, um, dairy, gluten, and and um, sugar, those are some of the biggest impact things you can do through processed foods, breads, grains, uh, pasta, all that. And dairy also being, you know, 70 to 90% of the world is lactose intolerant. But um, among those people, there's also food sensitivities to dairy. And cow's dairy is the most antigenic type dairy we can expose ourselves to. And by the word antigenic, I mean that it activates your immune response. And you may not know it going back to our conversation in the beginning, that when you have dairy, you get a migraine, or dairy constipates you or dairy makes you really mucusy, and then you get sick, or it gives you a sore throat. But you're not making the connection because you think like, oh, these things are just happening because they just happen. And my doctor just told me, um, give you some migraine medicine. That's what's going to deal with it. And they're not looking at the root cause, but these could be the root causes of things. And these, these can be some of the, the early stepwise activations that people can do. And obviously when they read my book, the gut smart protocol and take the quiz, they'll find out, you know, what category do I fall under? That's going to tell them what foods are in and what foods are out. But even with that, I give kind of macro recommendations. Alcohol is another big one. Alcohol is a big gut disruptor. It actually will wipe out your good bacteria. Um, the more you drink, the more you're going to disrupt your gut microbiome. And that leads to leaky gut and it increases inflammation as well. So whenever I put people on a gut healing program, I tell them, you know, for now, like alcohol has to be out so that your body can heal because it's going to be another obstacle to healing. And if then we're talking about like, okay, everybody's listening and saying like, okay, um, you've just told me remove all these things. What am I going to eat? Well, first of all, vegetables, and, and you can learn which ones are right for you by taking the quiz. But secondly, when you can, you want to start incorporating 
some fermented foods. Because from a study, and this is just first study, so we've got to see more studies, but we know, we know, for example, that fermented foods boost immunity. But a study done by Stanford University in 2021 showed that fermented foods increase microbial diversity, which going back, remember that word diversity, we want a diverse gut microbiome. And in, in that study, it reduced 19 inflammatory markers. More, more powerfully than a fiber-rich diet, which was the group they were comparing it to. So they had a fiber-rich group and they had a ferment, high fermented foods group. And it was a fermented foods group where we saw increasing gut um, microbial diversity and a drop in 19 inflammatory markers in the body. That's huge. And when you say high fermented foods, how much are we talking? How much were they eating? Anywhere between two to four servings per day. Mm -hmm. So as like, like a couple of teaspoons like, per hit. Yeah, like yeah. like two to four tablespoons per day. Now, mm -hmm. anybody listening to this might think, oh, let me run to the store now and get like sauerkraut and yogurt <laughs> and kefir. Like I'm just gonna, I'm just yeah. gonna like get all these. I want to reduce inflammation in my body. The thing is, if you take the gut smart quiz and your result is severe, you can't have fermented foods. It's not time yet. Yeah. Because your gut is in too much disarray. Maybe you have bacterial overgrowth. Maybe you have yeast overgrowth. And those ferments are going to make you feel sick. And even when you start, even with you start, let's go back just quickly to that conversation about being intuitive and listening to your body. You're not going to have a lot of it thinking that, well, if a little is good, let me just have a lot because that's just going to be great. No, you're going to dip your toe in the pool. And you're going to test the water and you're going to start with as low as a quarter teaspoon, slowly increasing, seeing how your body reacts to it. Because if you have any histamine issues, fermented foods could actually make you feel worse. Yeah, that's it. I know that from mold when I had really bad histamine issues, it, it was not my friend. I had to cut all ferments out. And, but now and I, I, I bet you that it, I bet you that if you took my quiz when you had mold toxicity, that you probably would have tested in severe mm. category. Oh, yes. And and when you are sensitive to, you know, certain foods, it could be, and especially histamine, it's because your gut is in disarray. You've got leaky gut and your body just can simply not handle the histamine in the foods. Yeah, that's it. No, it really couldn't. But now the good news is we're all good. Um, oh, so powerful. Brilliant. Okay. So can I ask you one, I'm going to ask you one more question, which is if you had to take a couple of gut loving foods to the grave, what would be your absolute desert island foods that you incorporate all the time? And that once you've got your patients on track that you really make sure are front and center for them. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, you know, one, one important food for me, and, and I do eat meat and seafood, but humanely sourced and, you know, from good sources, uh, one would be wild salmon because it's rich in omega-3s and omega-3s are so important for gut health and for brain health and for the whole body. So I would want to make sure that I have a good omega-3 source. And it also is a source of vitamin D and vitamin A. Um, so wild salmon, wild caught, not farm raised, 
would be part of that. The other food that I would want to have there would be a complex starch. And I would probably choose some sort of root vegetable, whether it's like a Caribbean root vegetable, like a yuca, which has a more complex starch and has a lot of prebiotic fiber that's really good for the gut microbiome. And um, do I have a refrigerator in this <laughs> island? You can have a fridge. Yes. Can I have a fridge? Mm -hmm. Or if not, maybe maybe I just have cabbage and I make my own fermented sauerkraut like naturally on, on the island if I have some glass uh, containers. Yeah, and you can and use I the salt water. I, I would want to have um, a fermented food so that I'm helping, um, you know, keep my gut microbiome healthy. Um, and the ferment also gives you acid, which is really good for stimulating digestive juices and helping with digestion. Um, and look, I, I don't think I could live on a deserted island without some dark chocolate. <laughs> Yay! So, Thank you. <laughs> I can I definitely need, do your desert I would need some diet. dark chocolate, which, I'm in. <laughs> which, by the way, is full of antioxidants. It's really good for your gut microbiome. And actually, um, part, part, part of the reason that dark cho chocolate is so beneficial is through the metabolism of some of the, 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 um, the antioxidants in the dark chocolate that are too big to get across the gut barrier are metabolized by gut bacteria into small sizes that then get through the gut barrier and then can help benefit the body. Fascinating. I love that. Okay. Well, you've been prescribed, folks. You heard it here. Dark chocolate's in. Some, some I raw love cacao. That. Yep. Uh, Vincent, always a pleasure. Such a great chat. And I feel like uh, you give people space. You let people start where they are instead of pretending there might be this perfect protocol that suits everybody all the time. Uh, and I love that about your work. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, good luck with the new book. And uh, I'm definitely encouraging everybody to grab it. You can check it out in the show notes. Yeah. And I want to mention that for your listeners, if they want to grab a free chapter from my book, uh, oh, they can go to, yeah, they can, they can go to gutsmartprotocol.com forward slash gift and and they can get a preview of a, of a chapter along with Dr. Perlmutter's forward in the book and, and some little surprises before the book comes out. So wonderful! Um, I know you can add that to the show notes. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, 
getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lotoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lotoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.